welcome to Paw and Order Animal Victims Unit, the podcast where we combine true crime and wildlife. My name is Julianne and I will be your host today. In today's episode, we have a lovely guest come on for an interview. His name is Jeremy Fan, and he is the director of the Lao Conservation Trust for Wildlife. He joins me today to discuss how the Conservation Trust employs different forms of technology in combating a big wildlife crime problem that they have, which is wildlife trafficking. Um, Sometimes this is with supplies or items that come from wildlife, and other times it is the pet trade. So without further ado, let's take a listen to my interview with Jeremy. All right. Well, Jeremy, thank you again for agreeing to come on. If you want to start by just giving a little background about yourself, um, where you're located, what your job title is, what your organization does, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, As you said, my name is Jeremy. I work at the Lao Conservation Trust for Wildlife, um, and we are located here in Lao PDR. For those of you who don't know where Lao PDR is, it's squeezed between Thailand and Vietnam. Um, Our center does a lot of rescue, rehab, and release work. So what we do is we receive tip-offs from um, local people and from foreigners that come to visit as tourists. And we collect that information and then we're able to give that to the government and hopefully they can make the confiscation of the wildlife. Um, and then once the wildlife is confiscated, it then comes to our center where we have uh, veterinary staff, other wildlife experts, and then a large staff that help maintain our center actually here because we have about 400 animals currently. And from there, if the animals are deemed that they can be released, we do a rehabilitation process before we actually put them back in the forest. Um, so that can be quite labor intensive in terms of people watching them through CCTV and making sure that they're exhibiting the proper behaviors before we release them. Upon release, we go to a national protected area where we get government permission to go out and release the animals. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a, a main aspect of our, of our work, but we also do a lot of education as well. Uh, so we run an education program for the nearby secondary school. We also do education programs for the international schools in Vientiane, which is the capital of Laos. And we are currently in the process of renovating the grounds of the old Lao Tzu. So we operate out of the grounds of the old Lao Tzu. And basically we're rebranding it as LCTW. We hope to open July. And when we open, we will have a natural history museum. We will have an illegal wildlife trade education center. Uh, Local Lao people will actually get to come for free, 100% for free. And they get to be on a tour. They get to learn about wildlife. They get to learn about conservation. And yeah, so it's we're kind of going to be the main focal point for conservation in the entire country. So it's, it's quite an exciting time for us right now. Um, Also very stressful as you can imagine. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. But that, that's amazing. And and it sounds like you're making it really accessible to everyone too. That's really exciting. 
Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That's our big goal. Yeah, for Lao wildlife and Lao people. Um, that's yeah, our whole mission. So very cool. So as you know, the project I'm working on is focused a lot about wildlife crime and different ways that people work to combat that. So what is the most common wildlife related crime that you deal with in your area? Yeah, so most of what we deal with is the just the illegal wildlife trafficking trade. Basically, we get reports from people who are either selling wildlife products or live wildlife usually via Facebook, actually. Facebook is a huge platform for selling wildlife here. So that's that's probably our, our biggest. And then also the pet trade as well. So we have over, we have 102 macaques, uh, which is a type of monkey. And those animals almost all came from people having them as pets. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a very big, not necessarily a trade here, but let's say they go out to hunt for bush meat and they kill the family, and then the babies are usually sold as pets because they're cute. Gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they grow up to be, you know, little macaque monsters. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. That, and that's so interesting that they're just sold over Facebook. You would think that's so out in the open that it would be easy to catch the people doing it <laughs> and acting yeah. on that. Yeah, exactly. I think one thing we notice here is a lot of people in, at least in Laos, I can't speak for all of Southeast Asia, but they have multiple Facebooks anyway. Uh, so it's very common for them to have, you know, multiple Facebooks. But even if they don't, they are very right in your face. They'll put their phone number sometimes. They'll put, you know, how to contact them. Um, and we do actually, when we receive these tip-offs, we do a little bit of legwork where we try to do a little bit of investigation. So our translator will actually call and pretend to be a buyer um, and try to get more information so that we can give the government a really good picture of what is being sold, where exactly it's being sold, so that they will actually make the effort to go out and confiscate the animal. My next question deals a little bit with that. So, of course, your organization deals a lot with taking in injured or confiscated wildlife to be cared for. So what are the main forms of technology that you guys use to find these animals that need your help? What does that process look like? You've, you've talked a little bit about that. Is it mostly Facebook? Do you use other tip-off methods? Yeah, we, so the first thing to note is as big as Facebook is in Western countries, it is 10 times bigger here. So Facebook is the platform that is used for all news. I mean, it can be news coming mm-hmm. out from the prime minister's office. It can be news it can be gossip it can be anything and it circulates like wildfire here and so that's it's definitely facebook is our most important tool when it comes to receiving the tip-offs but we also run a hotline with the phone number 1601 and it's actually toll free and anyone in laos can call it Uh, and when you call it we'll of course answer it we'll take as much information as we can and then we usually ask to send pictures and that type of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's another method. And then of course, other social media, we have you know Instagram. Um, we also have our website. Um, if you have a chance to visit our website, it's lctwildlife.org. Uh, and it's actually, it's quite a nice website. We had a professional volunteer make it and it looks very good. Um, but there's a, a spot on there where you can actually report wildlife to us as well. And it emails us directly. 
Um, we also have WhatsApp number as well, and you can email us directly. And so, yeah, I mean, basically any way you want to contact us, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you can contact us. Yeah, we try to make it accessible for anybody and everybody. That's awesome. So I know that one barrier that keeps a lot of conservation-based organizations from using newer technology is cost, because it can be expensive um, to, to get the new stuff in. Um, but are there any other barriers that keep your organization from diving in and using newer technology as it comes out? Is it just kind of what you have now is working, so not really a need or um, some other uh, other reasons? Yeah, I think besides budgetary, I would say manpower. Although we have a lot of staff, so we we employ about 68 local people, um, and then we have a very small expat staff, so uh, a staff of foreigners. So there's six of us um, from other countries. And as it would stand, if we got new technology, we would most likely be the ones that would have to train on it first. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, train our, our local staff the best we could if it's something that they could use. Um, but in terms of that, there's the whole language barrier. Um, so, I mean, almost nothing is Lao friendly, let's say. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, it's difficult. And not, I'd say, well, almost none of our local staff speak English. Um, so that's, you know, quite difficult as well. I'd say our expat staff, we can be a little bit tech savvy, but again, it's, it's just having the time to do that. And yeah, being able to learn it and all of that is kind of the difficult part. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes total sense. All right. One last question. Um, it, it sounds like you rely a lot on the public calling in tips for finding a legal wildlife activity. Um, how did your organization gain such a strong buy-in from the community? Um, and kind of what, what do you do to maintain that positive and trusting relationship with the local people? Yeah. So I think our name because we're quite new, I, I don't know if I said, but we're, we started in 2018. So we're mm -hmm. quite a new organization. Um, and many people knew, of course, of the Lao Tzu, um, but we're trying to improve that reputation a bit, obviously, and you know, make it more conservation oriented. And in order to get our name out there, we actually used Facebook ads. And that has really allowed us to get a wider audience base. And they, we got a lot of positive feedback from there where people would comment on um, our advertisement and say, oh, I didn't know this existed in our country. Like, we're very happy to have this in our country. Um, so I think it's, it's that type of stuff. Um, and in our local community, I think we're, we're well accepted because we provide, you know, jobs to 70 local people, uh, which means we support their family. It's a very stable job. Um, yeah. You know, they get a monthly salary. Yeah, they don't have to really worry about that. So I think the local community, for the most part, is is quite accepting of us. And I think we're viewed quite positively. Um, and because we have the volunteer program, that also brings in extra revenue for some of the surrounding shops and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think overall we have quite a, a positive um, view from the local people there. And a lot of it has to do with our response to them as well. So we do get you know, feedback about, oh, well, how can people survive when they are poor and they need to hunt? 
wildlife or things like that. And, you know, we tried to explain those aren't necessarily the people that we're targeting. We're targeting more the, the wildlife trade. So if you're mm-hmm. doing sustainable harvesting of wildlife, that's not the end of the world, but it's when you're, you're hunting wildlife for profit and you're, you know, decimating the population in the forests and that type of stuff. That's when it becomes a problem. Um, but for, you know, local people that live off the forest, um, it's, it's not really an issue if they're not over hunting and trying to sell for profit. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I, I really appreciated it. Uh, it was great to see you. Yeah, nice to see you too. Thank you so much. Again, just a huge thank you to Jeremy for coming on the podcast and letting us hear some of the amazing work that the Lao Conservation Trust for Wildlife is able to accomplish. If you are interested in helping their cause even more, uh, consider donating. They are able to take donations on their website and you can learn more about all of the work they do as well. And their website is lctwildlife.org. I will link that in the description below as well. Um, Something else you will find in the description is the link to my master's program uh, project that I am working on focusing on how technology is used to combat different wildlife crimes. So if this topic is interesting to you, go check that out as well. And I hope you will join me for the next episode of Paw and Order Animal Victims Unit. We'll see you then.